0: How's it going guys? Welcome back to the You know Adam Same podcast where you get to know a little bit more about people, passions, and all things business. Today I'm sitting with Shannon Ramsey of the Families for Families. For families. Fantastic. And that's an organization that really focuses on foster care in the Statesboro area?
1: Yeah, we actually have several offices around the state. Our home office is up near the Atlanta area, uh, but this is one of our branch satellite offices here in the Statesboro area.
0: Fantastic. Well, we're really happy to have you on the show. You know, uh, for me, uh, it is a business podcast, and it might uh, seem a little bit off that, you know, we have someone in the foster industry here. But, you know, I think it's extremely valuable, the things that your organization goes through through. Um, You know, at the end of the day, a lot of these organizations, they run almost as if there is a business. And you guys are handling some really difficult things, to be honest. And then, uh, you know, from your experience, I love to hear uh, the way that you navigate through that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, let's go ahead and start off uh, right off the bat, you know, kind of what to you is the biggest challenge uh, that you face on a day to day basis?
1: I would just say the biggest challenge we have on a day-to-day basis is, is just the need itself. Uh, in the state of Georgia, the numbers kind of influx on the number of uh kids that are in the foster care system. It it fluctuates because kids are coming and going. Um and um, it, it's it fluctuates anywhere from twelve thousand to seventeen thousand kids. Yeah, and in this part of the state. Uh, roughly an hour radius of statesboro where, where we're located um, somewhere between seven eight hundred kids are in the system wow right
0: yeah. wow and and so when when you say in the system what does that mean they they do not have a, a parental figure so what that means
1: is um, something traumatic has happened in their parents lives uh, whether it be legal whether it be um, just uh, somebody saw something whether it be, uh, it, actually, it all comes back to legal, because basically what happens uh, is kids are maybe seen in the community. Maybe they have bruises on them, they get seen by a doctor, maybe by a teacher, what we call mandatory reporter, and then someone investigates that uh, from the state. They Child Protective Services will come and investigate that. And if they find that there's some type of wrongdoing, maybe the child has been abused in some way. They find, they, they see that these children are in need. That's one way. Another way is, and we, this is probably a more uh, dramatic way, is something, an altercation of some sort uh, takes place in the home. Maybe uh, domestic violence of mm. some sort. Uh, police are called. Uh, because of that domestic violence, and there's no one to care for those children, uh, the Department of, of Family and Children's Services, DFACS, mm-hmm. uh, they're called in, they re, they get a, a judge order to remove the children from the home, and then those children come into foster care mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. And that can, that can happen immediately. Um, matter of fact, I got a call last night mm-hmm. um, at about nine o'clock, um, and basically what I can share was there was three children, uh, and evidently, um, there was, um, there was an altercation with another child in the home that, um, uh, from what I was told, um, the, the other child had passed away. And so wow. they were removing the, all the children from the home mm. until they could figure out everything what exactly that happened? happened. Um, and so, uh, we were, we were trying to, um, we were trying as an agency to, to, to find homes for those kids. Um, Unfortunately, um, we were not able to, but another home was found. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's two ways uh, this thing, this kind of dives into a little bit more of the intricacies of of what we do and how we relate to um, the state. But we basically, we're contracted with the state uh, to train, license, and recruit foster families. Um, And so the, the DFACS offices, when they don't have homes that they may have recruited or people who may have gone to them, um they didn't reach out to us and so uh, it's a both and some folks are foster parents with um with with the state with defects in their local counties uh we are or they can come to private agencies like us um and and we help facilitate that same thing Um, kids are all coming from the same place they all have to they all have a case worker and a case plan that is working with the state we just simply become another layer to that in a positive way, we really believe in a positive way to help navigate the very all the intricacies that go on um, with our staff, to that go on with uh, case management, with the various cases that kids go on. I really kind of circled around a lot of those things that go on with the the difficulties of it. But one, the the, the sheer volume of kids that are that are out there, um, and the lack of homes that 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 are out there mm-hmm. as well. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a burden that we kind of carry.
0: So do you face the, the, the foster children more or the foster families? Which, so, which, which so, side do you handle? Both ends. Mm-hmm.
1: End. So basically we are on the front end of recruiting the families. Mm-hmm. And so once they are recruited and they're, they're licensed, they go through a process to be licensed, um, uh, we then get a call from DFACS and a child comes into their home defects and we have a full-time case manager that helps to oversee the care for that family and for that child so um, they 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 know the case plan they're making sure our case manager our staff is making sure that, that foster family is doing everything they need to to stay in compliance with the state uh, but also to make sure that they're succeeding in that mm-hmm. a great example of that that, that we do as a staff, and these are some things that we 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 feel like is value added to the extra layer that, that we provide and support services. Uh, today, um, one of our foster families has got to take some foster children uh, to a doctor's appointment. Uh, they have uh, a biological child in their home, a little mm-hmm. two year old, mm-hmm. and so uh, our case managers they reached out. They said, "Hey, listen." Um, I've got to take these two foster kids. Is there a way I could get a babysitter or some, is is there something, somebody that can help me uh, while I'm at the doctor's appointment? Her, Her husband's at work. You know, sure. so it's just a challenge. Sure. You know, make all that work. So one of our staff is going to drive over and and, and babysit her kids for a couple hours while she's taking those foster kids. That's right. To, so we. Those are the. That's just one facilitation. Th- that's one piece of the facilitation, the support that we try to provide to our families, and to the foster children. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that we we uh, we really place a high value on is, is caring for, it, it really kind of is, is a both end It's caring for those children, but also caring for those families. So those children need to be cared for, but those families need to be cared for as well. And so one of the ways we do that is through an event we do every month. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called a date night. So where it's where the foster parents can drop off their biological children and their foster children through one of our partners. Uh, and and we basically, Say hey, go go hang out and do what you need to for three hours. Okay. And, uh, so
0: so we're. I bet they take advantage of oh, that. Oh, they do. No, <laughs> they do. And they drop it. Off, they drop
1: them off, and they're like, hey, there you go. And, they, and some of them is funny. They said, well, what do I go do? Because they've not maybe not gone on a date in a while. That's you know? right. And so we said, I don't care what you do. You can take a nap in the parking lot for all I care. But listen, we've got the kids, and go do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so yeah, it's, we are working with all of them. We're 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 working with the case plan for the children we we know what goes on um we're we know what the traumas are so we know Mm -hmm. how to help the families get the training they need to support that so it's it's all encompassed um
0: you know you you mentioned uh before the show started some entrepreneurial tendencies (laughs) and um i can see that where you know you're creating some structures in there that you know pull people in you know you you want to have the exposure um, for you, uh, w- when you're working with these families and you're, you're doing all, all these things, what are you doing it for? Like, how, how did you kind of determine, like, this is kind of like the path?
1: Okay. So, um, for me, um, our family, we're an adoptive family, so caring for orphans is a big deal. We adopted a child in our home. Um, he, he's from China. Okay. And uh, he came. In I like home. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Very cool. uh, I was I was talking about your jade. Yeah, I picked some up while I was there. Very cool. Several years ago. Very cool. So he just turned seven mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, so he came in our home when he was two and so just caring for orphans and you ask why, uh, the why question for us, I'll be honest, the why question for us is, is, is because it is because of our faith mm. It's because, um, I mean, we're, we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus. We, we believe the Bible and what it says about mm-hmm. loving others, caring for others and caring for the orphans, caring for widows. Um, and so, um, we, we believe that we take that to heart. Um, and, um. My journey is a is a, is a big one in the midst of that. We may get into that in a minute, but kind of honing in on families for families, just orphan care and caring for the fatherless um, is something that, at the end of the day, I man, how can you not get behind that? That's right. We want to support our families. You know, our our why is because of our faith, and uh, and then and then also we want families to succeed to in in what they're doing. And a, a very sad statistic that is just in foster care in general the average foster family um basically lasts one year Mm. and that that really kind of equates to one placement in their home and what and and really what we come to hear and learn over the years um and i I say over the years i've not been doing this for multiple years but as i've talked with folks who've, who've done this over the years uh the the most families stop being foster families because they don't feel supported in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, it changes your life, it rearranges uh, everything. everything. And they need to know they have support. Going back to what I said just a moment ago uh, about how uh, one of our foster families is trying to take foster children to, uh, to a doctor's appointment, but needs someone to watch the other children, mm-hmm. you know, because they're doing it on their own they just need help. Sure. And there are little things that can be done. Uh, the other thing that we, we do as an agency is we, um, we provide, we, we work with partners to provide meals for our families, Mm. uh, at least once a month, most of the time, more than once a month. But, you know, listen, a foster family, they're dealing with kids. They've been do they've been working, they've been dealing with kids, all these things. It's a huge blessing for, uh, for a, foster mom to not have to worry if all they've got to do is throw it in the oven and heat it up Mm -hmm. and dinner's ready that's right you know and so those are those are things that we we work to network and and whatnot with
0: that that why is so important you know um, I honestly think that you guys are dealing with some of the toughest issues out there it it is so hard to see families um, that have these challenges that they have to go through and it to no fault of the children.
1: You know, a, a story I've heard, you know, is how uh, one one biological dad. You know, um, you know, we you, you learn you learn about people. Mm-hmm. You know, you learn sometimes you learn more more about the backstory of these biological families where these kids have come from. And you know, uh, one of the stories that we've heard uh, is, you know, the dad. You know, I think he was a star athlete in high school, mm. went to college, doing well had a sports injury and got hooked on pain meds and then just spiraled spiraled out of control you know next thing you know he's he's you know on drugs yeah. and an addict um, and and that and can't take care of his kids you know domestic violence yeah you know, all these various things going sure. on and sure. it just and I, I there's a there's an old adage there, there's an old preacher uh, who, uh, who who made a statement one time uh, that uh, you know folks were were Kind of making comparisons sometimes, mm-hmm. and he just kind of looked out. He goes, "There go I!" But by the grace of God, that could be me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one decision, you know, could could take you on a path that you just you wind up spiraling out of control. And, and we could just as easily be in some of these situations if we're not careful.
0: That's right. You know? uh, take me th- through kind of how you got here, then. So okay. you know, you've been only doing this for a short period of time. Yep. Um, you know, what's the the backstory?
1: Okay. So the backstory for me. Um, is uh, I grew up here in Statesboro, uh, went to started off in college at Georgia Southern, uh, met my wife there, and uh, we started dating, got engaged, um, got married, and then um, in the midst of that, kind of realized that um, realized there was a different direction for me, mm-hmm. uh, more of a ministerial type direction, and so what was but, it originally? Uh, I was a sport management major. Oh snap! Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was cool. Did you I, I play worked, sports yourself? I did. So I played in high school. I played a little bit at Georgia Southern. Okay. Um, I I got to I got to do summer practice as a recruited walk on. Had okay. some family stuff come up that uh, I had to step out. But, gotcha. So it, growing up here though, man, to get to suit up and be in the blue yeah. and white game in, in July was like awesome. August was like so What position cool. did you play? I was an offensive lineman. Okay. I was the smallest one out there. Okay. <laughs> So it was. They actually, they actually bumped me out to tight end because I was the smallest one. Which in Georgia Southern's offense is just another, another blocker. At least back in the '90s, especially uh-huh. more now too. It's still there a little bit now, but, but yeah. So absolutely, um, I loved sports and athletics. I was, I was a jock.
0: So, so something happened along the way so to pull you to,
1: to more, just more, uh, just kind of. I felt like my, my direction needed to be more in a ministerial role. Okay. You know, some type of vocational, pastoral-type ministry. So I went to, to Bible college. Uh, my wife and I moved and went to Bible college in the panhandle of Florida. Moved out to New Orleans for just a little bit and went to seminary. I uh, didn't finish my seminary there, but relocated back up to the Atlanta area where I went on staff full-time as a, a youth pastor at a okay. church. Uh, finish, started finishing up my... Uh, Uh, seminary degree through an extension center there and then um in the midst of that stepped out of vocational ministry and into business where i met met a guy who just i'll be honest just really kind of changed my life became a a life he's been a lifelong friend Mm -hmm. and we were in business together it was a land clearing business so this was back uh we we actually cleared land for 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 development in the big housing boom in the early two thousands, man, we cleared thousands of acres. Okay. And so we had heavy equipment, and I came in, and I was the the business and administrator, I handled all the finances.
0: Awesome. Worked with attorneys and. So, insurance. so for ministry so, yeah. or sports management.
1: So, so the management aspect. Let's just okay. go to management. Okay. Okay. You
0: know? Okay. So management to, to ministry. ministry. To land clearing. To land clearing. <laughs>
1: I didn't know anything about land clearing, but I and, and honestly, I didn't really have a degree in finance of sure. any sort, but I knew computers mm-hmm. and I knew software. And the software did all the work. Sure. I just started working with our accountants. We sure. had a high powered accountant out of Atlanta. And so they just started teaching me and training me how and to how to interpret all the data and how to work with the data. And so I started just learning, you know, on the fly for, for several years. And, and man, we, I'll be honest, we were making money hand over fist, you know, okay. during that time. But then this little thing called a housing crisis happened in 2008. Okay. It actually started for us at the end of 2006. We had a record year in 2006 with, with volume of rev, of gross revenues. Okay. And then kind of the. The way things worked in the season of our work, is things would always slow down at Christmas. You know, those last couple of weeks of the year, extremely slow. And then January, man, we kick back in. You know, full swing. Yeah, it just never never came happened. Back in, 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 in so you saw it before it came in. Oh yeah, we saw it way before it came because basically we were on the front end. So sure. You have developers buying land, so then they're clearing the land, and then they're you know then builders come in and start building. Mm-hmm. Well, we started seeing projects just started to go away at the end of December. And we were kind of like, okay, we'll get the next contract, you know, but January just, just never, never came, came back, never came back. Wow. And so in the midst of that, just before all of that happened, uh, our heart began, to, my wife and I, we had two kids at the time, just started stirring for needs overseas. And so uh, we just started gearing up, and, and, and we were actually, before everything went kapoey, we were in the process of transitioning out and going to go overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and we kind of got delayed in that process, and I don't, don't want to talk too long about this, but long story short, we ended up overseas for about a decade. Wow. Uh, where, uh, where? We were in the country of Bangladesh uh, just doing You know, Christian ministry work there. Uh, Part of my responsibility as well. Going back to the business, uh, I ended up overseeing. We had a a relief agency. The organization we were with had a relief agency there, and so we were doing um, you know relief to a country that desperately needed it.
0: Uh And so uh, we um,
1: we were we we
0: we ended up doing flood relief. We did refugee work. How how did that relate? So is this inside of the uh, the land clearing? No, so, I'm, so this is so, this is so, after that. Yeah, so okay.
1: like we we were kind of sensing this shift to go overseas mm-hmm. before land clearing stuff started collapsing. So just before everything started collapsing, we were we were beginning
0: to see. Okay, we need to
1: it wasn't it wasn't that we saw land carrying going away it was just a natural thing sure. starting to happen
0: you you guys were becoming more and more involved in those types of yeah, things yeah we were going okay. overseas on Understood. our own
1: and, and and so we were like you know what i think we're going to transition and so uh so we moved w- w- yeah it was it's it was a mess that's It was not wild. it was not it was not easy it was it was very incremental um man it, it, it was it, that's another story for another day but uh but just got to got to be overseas and and live in, in that environment, very challenging environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and but at the same time, very rewarding. At the same time, um, but got to do relief work again, doing uh, food relief. We were we were doing um, various humanitarian projects. The last two years that that I was there, we were doing a, a refugee work because there was wow. a, from a neighboring country uh, from Myanmar. Um, there was a, mm-hmm. a group of people called the Rohingya. Roughly 800,000 people fled into Bangladesh in about a 60 to 90-day period of time. The largest refugee camps on the planet are right there in Bangladesh. So, it's still there.
0: So, so when you when you mean when you say that you you worked that, what what does that mean? Well, like you are. So I, I
1: began I began partnering with other relief agencies and the United Nations. Mm-hmm. We were we were getting you know we were at the table talking about hey what are some needs in these camps And how can we meet those needs? Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the major projects we did uh, was uh, basically a solar light project, street light project. Uh, One of the camps we kind of found a camp. We were a smaller agency, so I mean we could. There were there were big boys in there playing with big budgets, and we only had so much to work with. But we we kind of found a niche and found a smaller camp that we, uh, or group area that we could uh, do some good in. Mm -hmm. And they told us they said, you know what? this area at night, there were no, there's no, no lights, lights mm-hmm. really. And when you get into those, there's no electricity. Area, there, right? Yeah, there was very little, mm-hmm. um, very little electricity. Uh, most of them had these little solar panel, solar powered, um
0: L- lamp lamp lanterns or, uh-huh. or
1: stuff that they would use at night. But uh, long story short, uh, we put in. Well over a hundred of these solar panel street lights throughout wow. one of these camps. Put them at major intersections along the pathways. And what we began to learn was the um, it, it was a security thing sure. for, for women and children um, and, and, and others. Because when people would go out in those little alleyways at night and there's no light, I mean, it got very dangerous when sure. you have very deser- desperate people. Sure. And so um, it, the, some of the some of the crime, it, we, we'd say crime, you know, there was nobody really policing anything, sure. but, but some of those, those threats and those things began to go down very quickly after that. And we got to do some other distribution type things within that, within that camp. And so, yeah, so I, I was doing that. We began to see some transition again, after a decade, began to see some transition in our family, uh, needing to come back to the States with our family. And so, um, we began to. Okay, so we're like, okay, we're going back. We'd really like to go back to Statesboro. All of our family's here. Gosh, yeah. uh, my wife's family's here. My family's here. Our kids had never lived next to Grandma and Grandpa. Uh-huh. And so we're like... So
0: they were they born, born in Bangladesh? So, so
1: two of them were, were born here in the States. So they were eight and six when we went overseas. Uh, we adopted our our youngest. Okay. Uh, we adopted him while we were overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, he was two when he came into our home. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just turned seven about a week ago. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, so, yeah, so we're transitioning back, trying to find, hey, what do, what do we do? You know, what's our next step? I looked at maybe some pastoral ministry or something like that. But um, the guy that I told you that uh, that I became friends with in that land clearing business, uh, I'll be honest, he's got a story of his own, but he lost everything. You know, mm. he was the entrepreneur. He was on the hook for everything. and And that business is a... It's a high, there's a lot of money, but there's also a lot of tractor payments involved in that. (laughs) And those things aren't cheap. Um, And so he he ended up going through a journey, but uh, he became a foster parent during that 10 years while I was away. Wow. And uh, fostered and then eventually adopted to two little girls out of foster care and um he began to say you know i I think i'd like to do this Mm. and so he started he again he's entrepreneur so he started a a a roofing company so that he could uh so that he could have the 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 liquid cash to start his foster agency so that's what he did so he started families for families that way and he used all the excess money to 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 start families for families and so uh... Again, we kept he, he and his family visited us a couple times while we were overseas, mm-hmm. and so we began connecting back up. And he said, "Hey Shannon, would you like to start Families for Families down in the Statesboro area?" Mm-hmm. So
0: Families for Families isn't uh, wasn't originally in Statesboro. No,
1: it's not. So it's, it was really originally started in a little town up in the Metro Atlanta area called Loganville. Okay, um, and um, yeah, it started there. Uh, we've got. Around the state, we've got three different offices, um, and actually four, and I oversee two of them, mm-hmm. the, the Statesboro office, and we have one in Dublin as well. And so, but our home office is, is where all the, the mainstay the main is. It's the, the heart and soul of, of the organization, of the sure. agency. Uh, but overall, we've probably got about 30, between 30 and 40 employees. Um, that work for us around the state in uh, full-time employees. Um, here in Statesboro, um, I'm full-time. We have one other full-time staff member, and then we have a part-time staff member, and we're in the process of hiring a, another full-time uh, person right now. So, Technically, and I know this is a business podcast, and your folks out there are going to be listening to this going, <laughs> yeah, that all sounds kind of interesting. How's that business? Well, we are technically a, a non but we have to operate with budgets. We have to Run sure. things like a business we have, to, we have to we have we have revenues that we we manage and we have to make decisions and we have to make wise decisions based on budgets and based on things that we do and uh my my job um was all about recruiting families mm. and so i came down and the uh, um roughly fall of 2019 and begin uh, that process uh, we're a faith-based agency so we partner with local churches to do all of our recruitment recruitment and so I started re- uh, meeting with pastors um, and um, and also there's a, a great um, support services group here in Statesboro called Fostering bullet they they provide support services um, so so well.
0: what's the relationship there
1: so so they started Maybe a decade ago, okay. before we even got here, doing great things. They've got a clothing closet. They, mm-hmm. They've got. Uh, they've created kind of a loose network of of support services to folks. They've got some property out uh, outside of town that they're building because they want to be able to house some camps and big big project things for the southeast or statewide. So they've got some big support services things that they're doing. Uh, kind of the kind of what separates us is we actually uh license, license foster families so they, they don't they, they don't do that. they don't do gotcha. that so that's that's a that's kind of the, the caveat that's kind of the niche that that we have uh, but we do support things and we partner with them we got a big uh, event coming up in uh, august of this year that, that we're going to be using their facilities they're letting us use their their property to to do a big blowout and so we're going to do a big blowout thing uh, inviting a bunch of foster families from around the area and our families to, to do. So, anyway, we came in and started meeting with them. And I, I talked to the guy who started that. His name's Chris. And I said, mm. Chris, do you think this is something that would be helpful in this area? He said, oh, absolutely. Mm. And so, uh, we just started uh, meeting together. And I know he was probably a little skeptical of me. He's like, okay, a guy coming in here. Let's, let's see, what, let's see sure. what actually happens. Sure. But, man, since then, uh, even in, in the midst of COVID, um, we, we now have – about nine or 10 families here, mm. uh, out of our Statesboro office. Uh, and we're caring for about 17 kids who've come in out of, out of a very traumatic situation uh, to, um, to, a, to a more stable and safe environment.
0: You know, one of the things that stands out to me is, you mentioned earlier that, you know, some of the, the why is so important, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're seeing some things that, you know, most people can't even imagine. And I think that you know when you when you go when you went to Bangladesh, you you probably saw some even worse, super <laughs> even worse, intense <laughs> things, right? Like yeah. you know, um, and and through your lens, you have to be able to if you don't know where your uh, position is in terms of why you're doing it, mm-hmm. you can never because it's so traumatic. I mean, yeah. I'm sure like every single time something happens, it's like oh, oh my goodness, like you feel, right? even the story that you shared earlier was just such a, uh, a heart um, wrencher, if you will. Yeah. Um, how, how is it that you, know, you, I guess, go out there and, and find families that are willing to kind of like, maybe not on the same level that you yeah. go through, but you know, take on some of that responsibility? Because these kids that are coming out obviously have trauma.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: And, and that in, in the, the foster families that you are, you know, recruiting are, are having to kind of help in those situations. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and, and so uh, one of the things we do on the front end is we let them know it's not going to be easy. Mm. Uh, and we, we talk about uh, and we use terminology like we, we want you to be. We want you to be called to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to use that terminology when we lived in, in Bangladesh and doing the work we did. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget. Someone told me uh, at, at a meeting. They said, uh, "South Asia in general." So that's India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, that area, part of the world. Uh, that listen, uh, you can fake a call to some places, but South Asia is not one of them. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because because here here's where that call or that why, as you as you have have worded it, here's why that's so important. Mm. Because the day is going to come when you're not going to want to do it. And you're going to have multiple days like that. And if you don't know what your why is, you'll quit. Mm. You'll quit really quick. And that's what, that's what that person meant when they said that. It is not easy to live in South Asia at all. Mm. It's hot. It's humid. There's lack. We lived in a constant state of sweat, okay, because there was – there's. Some, There is air conditioning, but it's not everywhere (laughs) like we're used to. It's not central heat and air on Mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. And so you have to know why you're there. You're going to get bombarded by beggars. You're going to see the worst things in humanity uh, in those places just because it's a a developing nation that doesn't have the same infrastructures like we have here and, and that we get to really enjoy the luxury of here in America. Power goes out all the time. You know, all these things. So you gotta know why you're there because that's what's gonna keep you there. So we, we use those same terminologies with our foster families. We say, listen, it's gonna to be tough. These kids are gonna be screaming their head off. If they're young, they're gonna be screaming their head off. You're not gonna know why. And they're, they're, they, may, they may slap you, they may hit you. They, you may get a, a, ta- a, a you know, like a, a eight, nine, 10 year old or 11 year old preteen that's gonna, they could potentially cuss you out. Mm. But you have got to love them and know why you're doing this because when that day comes and it's so difficult, you've got to be able to, one, manage the situation with grace and and in a very positive parental way, but then when the situation's over, you've got to be able to go and decompress Mm -hmm. and realize why you're doing it Mm -hmm. and hold on to that why. And so we, we emphasize that to the families and we tell them up front. Uh, one, of the th- one of the things I did learn about living overseas and the organization I was with helped me with this. And sometimes we, this is very simple, but we don't really talk about it enough, I feel like. The, the greatest frustrations in life are, come from unmet expectations. Mm-hmm. They come from unmet expectations. You expect A to happen, B happens, and you get ticked off, you know? Or you get disappointed or whatever. And so uh, I, I, we try to set the expectation so that people are pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. when A doesn't happen mm-hmm. or, or, or when B doesn't happen. Sure, sure. <laughs> You know, we say A is going to happen and, and B may be the positive. And so when B happens, you're like, wow, A didn't happen. Really? <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. This is easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's all about setting those expectations. Uh, listen, when I lived in Bangladesh, it was expected the power was going to go out every day at some point. Every day, not at the same time, different parts of the day, and I'll never forget. My kids were in an international school, they're doing their little work, the light goes out, nobody flinches, they just keep going to work. All this stuff. You sit in your restaurant today, sure, and, and the lights The go internet out. is slow,
0: and I'm already like, yeah, what's going on yeah,
1: here? Yeah, or, or or whatever, or the light, <laughs> what happens if the lights go out in your place? Everybody Every, just, freaks out, yeah, <laughs> you know? like
0: even if it's just a, a little bit, like just yeah, even at if all. Yeah,
1: it's a flicker, man. I, we've had power go out for. For two minutes five minutes, 15 hours yeah you know I mean so again expectations mm. you know we react when we have proper expectations so we try to set the expectations properly as best we can with our family.
0: How has going through all these experiences changed you as a person?
1: Um, I would say I, I would say they, they've chilled me a little bit. Mm. Um, I used to be really uptight um, uh, in a lot of ways um, and, and sometimes I don't even realize it. But going back to that whole expectation thing, um, you know, I just, I, I try to just be as chill. I, I'm, I'm just a little bit more chill, you know, just because I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's just the way it yeah, is. Yeah, it's just like, okay. Now, well, we, we live, live, again, we say we lived in a state of sweat in, in, in South Asia. We also lived in a state that Murphy's Law is always going to happen. Sure. If it can't go wrong, it, it will go wrong. Gotcha. And so, so when those things happen you know you got to know how to pivot mm-hmm. and you got to have you got to know how to do it with with grace really Mm -hmm. because otherwise you're, you're going to go nuts.
0: So, so tell me a little bit about kind of like the future. What, what's, what what do you have coming up for the organization? So the
1: organization is growing. I mean, uh, we've, we've been, we've been able to work remotely, um, over this last year. Part of that's just been because of COVID. Uh, we didn't have to do a whole lot of in-person stuff. Uh, but, uh, we're, we're, we've grown to the point where we're about like I said earlier, we're about to hire uh, another full-time staff member. Um, and so, that's on the horizon. We've also got. Uh, we're in the process of, of of getting a getting an office, so we're gonna not be you know working remotely anymore out of our homes or or out of co- local coffee Three shops. Tree. <laughs> Three Tree is my is my de facto office. You know they've been they've blessed us. Uh, you know we we I've talked to Philip. I said I think we're your best customer right nice. now. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so I spend more money there every month than I think anybody else, probably. Um, but. Uh, anyway yeah so we're, we're about to we're, we're in the process of trying to get an office and situate that to create a little bit more stability um and and just grow unfortunately when our business is good that means something else is very bad mm-hmm. going on and so unfortunately that bad stuff is going on and these kids are in need whether we've got homes or not um i, I two weeks ago my email and phone was going off the hook i couldn 't keep up with all the requests I was getting from the local d offices and i i couldn't i didn't have homes for those kids yeah that didn't mean there weren't some and some weren't found but we we want to be the first call for those folks um, and so we we worked very hard to just say hey if, if this is something you would consider please please consider it we 'd love to help navigate, help you navigate that and so uh
0: well, Shannon, I, I do want to appreciate you spending some time with us. I, I want to thank you for all the work that you do. I, I know that how challenging you know, the, the position that you are in and the stress and the, mm-hmm. and the um, things that are, are put onto your plate. Um, you, I think you sit in a position that not, may, not many people are willing to do and and I I from you know deep down I do appreciate that mm-hmm. um but yeah I just wanted to you know again thank you for your time and and your effort in helping Bullock and the community around you be a better place
1: yeah thank you very much and I listen we're glad to do it and we just want to serve any way we can and Adam thank you for for having me on and just getting to tell the story and getting the word out
0: cool right. I appreciate it thank you very much thank you